0: Good morning, thanks for uh, having me. I've heard of this group um, for years, but never realized what a great group it was. So I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to be here today. When, whenever I talk to people, I always start it out the same way. Um, you have books on the table that I've written, but I don't consider myself an author. I'm standing up in front of you today speaking, but I don't consider myself a speaker. And the reason I tell you that is if I jack this up, I'm really an equipment salesman. So if you hear something that inspires you or something that points you toward God, you'll have to know that it came from God, because how could it come from an equipment salesperson? Um, on, that, on that note, uh, years ago, I closed the biggest deal in the history of our, our company, and uh, it, it was. It actually had more volume in it than our, our our revenue the prior year. I mean, it was just a massive deal, and um, I sat for a moment and reflected on my career at the at the company. And um, see, I had come to the company and right out of college. My dad started the company in 1967, and this was uh, 1985-ish. So um, when when I got there, he needed employees, and I needed a job. So Uh, seemed like a fit. Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't much of an employee. Uh, I was the gopher. You guys know what the gopher is? Yeah. Yeah. That was actually, that was one of my favorite parts of my job. You could get in your car and drive around town and waste time and get paid for it and listen to music. And, you know, I I did that a lot. Uh, Another thing I like to do was, um, believe it or not, I like to file the invoices. And back in the day, we had these Uh, Paper invoices that you'd put in folders in an alphabetical order and and put them in these file cabinets now The reason I like to do that because I had to do that at 10 o'clock because at 10 o'clock the equipment technicians took their break and the filing room was right behind the wall of the break room And I could listen to the equipment technicians tell their stories, and they didn't know it. And I don't know if you've ever listened to a room full of equipment technicians talk, but, man, they can tell some whoppers of stories. So, again, I'm getting paid to be entertained by these equipment technicians while I'm working. And so that was something I liked to do. Uh, But one day, it wasn't really entertaining to me because they were talking about me. Yeah, and it wasn't very... uh, complimentary. In fact, some of the things I remember are, what a loser. That kid will never amount to anything. If his dad didn't own this place, he wouldn't even have a job here. How about it? Yeah. And the problem was they weren't saying anything that wasn't true <laughs> at, at, at the time. Um, now, to, to call this uh living a life on mission, this is where I would really say it started for me, and I think to have a mission, it starts with a vision, a, a vision of what you'd like to achieve. You know, what do you see down the road? Uh, a vision motivates us by what we could be, in the midst, instead of being held back by what is. So at that moment, I was held back by a lot of things, but I had to have a vision that I could drive toward that would allow me to go from here to there. And when you do that, then you live a life on a mission if you're pursuing a vision. Um, that day. I had my first vision that put me on a mission. And my vision was, I'm going to show those guys in that room. Someday they're going to say, he ran this business better than his dad did. That became my vision. And my mission was to work as hard as I could, to learn as much as I could, so that that one vision would come reality. So that brings me, years later, to this biggest deal in the history of our company. I walked in to tell my dad that I got the deal. Uh, He asked me how much of it. I said 100% shut out the competition. He shook my hand and congratulated me. And instead of saying thank you, I looked him in the eye and I said, what's the biggest deal you ever closed, Dad? Because my day had come. That day I dreamed about had come. And I walked in that room so full of pride and so full of myself, it was time to know that I reached my vision and I'll never forget it. My dad gave me that look that a dad can give his son he didn't say a word, but his eyes were saying, you are the biggest idiot. I'm like, why is he giving me that look? I know there's not been a deal. This deal's more than we'd made last year. And he thought of me, and he goes, son, I don't know that there's a deal that stands out in my mind, but I think what I am most proud of is that God's provided for so many families through this business over the years, and I'm so thankful that he's allowed me to play a part in that. Mm. You see, my dad was teaching me what leadership really is all about. My dad was teaching me what mission should be about. It's not about us. It's about those around us. And if we want to lead, it's not about follow me and you'll go far. It's what can I do to take you somewhere. My next vision, you thought I would have been, you know, learned something from that. But my next vision was, you know what, someday our company could sell $100 million and this was at a time when we were maybe doing 25 or 30. So to tell people we're going to do 100 million, it was kind of like, what? That seems kind of crazy. And I, no, we, we, we will. And we worked at it. And we put every energy into it. And we, we, we tried our best. And, and we got there. But it didn't feel like anything. It, it actually didn't feel like we'd accomplished anything. What do we do now? Say 200 million, 300 million? What if we go down to 50? I'm, what? And the Lord kind of, over time, worked on me to realize... You've been chasing Chris visions. you've been chasing Chris' missions. You need to chase a kingdom vision and a kingdom mission. And I thought about it in the equipment business, what the world would that look like? you know? Uh, a kingdom vision in the equipment business. And over time he did show me what that might look like, and it was a, um, a really neat way he did it. I was at a, uh, it was actually a golf trip with other Vermeer dealers. That's the, the equipment that we sell. And um, we were sitting around a table. One of those nights where you're kind of bragging to each other, this happened, this has happened in my business. You know, we got this amount of sales. Um, and the busboy that was cleaning the table around the restaurant, I couldn't take my eye off him because he did his job so well. He had enthusiasm. He, he did it fast. He did it uh, with a great process. And um, it was just a, a really neat thing for me to watch this busboy and um, I wasn't the only one watching him because throughout the night, about halfway through the night, each time he would clean a table, the restaurant would applaud. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the world's greatest busboy, and I'm here to tell about it. Um, <laughs> but, but that night, I couldn't get to sleep. And, and the reason I couldn't get to sleep was because I couldn't get this busboy out of my mind. And I thought, that's what it would be to shine, to stand out in a way that others would take notice and applaud you for the work you do. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I mean, imagine if I sell somebody a piece of equipment, and not only do they write me a check, but they stand back and go, you're the best salesman I ever had, yeah. And I was just, now I can't sleep at all. And the Lord just put it on my heart, there's a Bible verse. And I'm like, I'm trying to sleep, I can't get the busboy out, now i got to think about a Bible verse. And um, eventually I got up and and stumbled through the hotel room I was at, and, and thankfully they'd been there, the Gideons. They had left a Bible right there. So I had no excuse. I found the Bible, and eventually I found it, Matthew five sixteen: Let your light so shine before others that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now, I'd heard that verse before because I'd gone to church my whole life, basically. Uh, but that night I heard it for the first time. Because we are indeed called to shine. As believers and followers of Christ, we are called to shine. We're called to stand out in a way that others would take notice. But not that they would applaud us for the work we do, but they would applaud our Father in heaven for the works that he does in and through us. And it was like, wow, that's a kingdom vision. The Lord has just given me my kingdom vision. So I went back to the office at that time. We pretty quickly after that, we had had a like a manager's meeting. And I said, hey, on, on my golf trip to Myrtle Beach, I got a vision from God. And they looked at me like, what'd you do on that golf trip, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, no, no, seriously. Hey, Mark, <laughs> there's a Vermeer Southeast employee here. Um, cool. Um, he wasn't there back then. But, but anyhow, no, I'm sorry. I, I lost track. The, um, <laughs> I said on, our, on that trip, I had the a vision from God. And I'm like, from now on, our company's going to shine with excellence. We're going to do our work in a way that it glorifies our Father in heaven. And I was so excited. And they were like, how do you do that? I was like, I have no idea. Read your Bible, Matthew 5, 16. It's right there. Read it. That's going to be us. And I felt so excited about it that I, I put it on a, on, a, on a value statement and on the bottom, our vision. And I had a Bible verse and I put it on the walls of our building. And I was so proud of myself because I had a kingdom vision on the walls of my buildings and it did absolutely nothing because all it was, was a paper on the walls of our building. And again, over time, the Lord had to show me, what might that look like? That's the question the managers were saying, okay, what does that look like? So we began to think, what if God came to work in our business? What if Jesus showed up tomorrow morning and came to work at our company? What are the things he might be doing? And through looking through um, the scripture and praying for it, 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 it became clear, and it was actually my wife Robin's idea. She goes, you ought to take that word shine and come up with some principles that would say what it might look like. And the Lord revealed it. Now I'm gonna see, this is the first time one of these has been used, I've heard, so. Hey, fantastic. It works. Um, okay, so first of all, if Jesus came to work in our company, I think the primary thing you would see him do is serving others. I mean, the Son of Man came, what, Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And not serving others so that it'll get us something. I mean, we all know in business, if we serve our customers well, we'll sell more stuff, right? That's the motivation. I'm going to serve this person very well, because if I do, they might buy more stuff from me. Not the way Jesus would call us to serve. Jesus would call us to serve from the heart, where we would help someone's situation become better. Just truly unselfish, from the heart, service, not expecting anything in return, what if we could serve like that, not only in the work we do, but in our families and in our communities, and and just really focused on serving others from the heart? The next thing he did, he you know, would do. I feel he came to do the work of him who sent him. He said that, you know, he, I'm here to do my father's work. Everything he did was to honor his father in heaven. How often are our work, at our work, do we do things to honor ourselves? That biggest deal was to honor me get to 100 million was to honor me. It's natural. We, we, we want to take that next step. We want to be known for what we do. But we're really here. Our purpose should really not be to honor ourselves, but to honor the one who, sent, who created us, the one who gives us life, to honor him, to do things in a way that would bring honor and glory to him. Improve continually. Jesus, I, I like to say he spent 30 years as a carpenter preparing for his three years of ministry. He was all about improving continually. Um, This is about taking the gifts and the talents that God gives each and every one of us and growing them, not only then growing them for ourselves, but growing them for his kingdom so that he can use us. In fact, you know, we're, we're really all here so that we can come to know Jesus. We can become more like him. We can tell others about him. And then we can all go to heaven to live with God forever. All about improving continually. Our lives can continue to be on that upward track. Navigate by values. Like I said, when I hung the thing on the walls of our building, it did absolutely nothing. But if you can get it into the hearts of your people and they start living those values, it's not what you say your values are. It's what people see. You know, we can talk about it all day long, but do they see those values lived out? That means you're navigating by them. You're not just hanging them on on the walls of your building. And if you navigate by by, uh, Christ-like values, people will take notice. And people will begin to go, there's something different about this place. There's something. And that gives you that opportunity to tell them what's different about the place. You know, the old thing of uh, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. People believe what they see way beyond what what they hear. Um, and, And finally, this is what it's all about, excelling in relationships. Whatever your work is, I believe the most important thing in your work is to excel in relationships. And be- the reason I think that is because of what matters most to God. A relationship with a creator who s- loved us so much he sent his own son to die for us that we could have relationship with him and through that relationship be reconnected to the Father and share that relationship with others so that they also can uh, receive eternal life and be in relationship with, with the Father. So after the Lord had, had given us that vision, and it's still the vision at Vermeer Southeast, uh, many years later, um, not many years after that became our vision and we started trying to um, operate by those, those values and principles and, and, and follow a kingdom vision that would give us a kingdom mission. Um, I learned a very important thing. It's been talked about already uh, by Dave. Um, And what I learned is it's great to have a light when you're on the mountaintop and say, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord. But the most important time to have a light is when you walk through the darkest because that's where it makes the biggest impact. When you're in the dark, that's where you really need the light. And that's when people are really gonna look at you and say, is this real? This is from our Christmas card, 2009. Um, to, actually 2008, Grayson is my daughter, she's nine years old here, she's supposed to sing on Christmas Eve at First Baptist Orlando, um, you know, that's a pretty big deal for a nine-year-old to sing before 5,000 people in two different services, and, you know, she was really excited about that, but not feeling very well uh, leading up to that, um, went to the doctor, and they said, oh, she's got what everybody else has, you know, just a flu, she'll be fine in a few days, here's a breathing treatment, and it was all about, am I going to be able to sing on Christmas Eve? That was her thing. I've got to sing on Christmas Eve. Well, Christmas, the night before Christmas Eve, she climbed into my bed, and her hands on my back were frozen. And being the great dad I am, I went and got socks and put them on her hands so that she couldn't put them on my back. And I had no idea that her cold hands were a warning that she wasn't. The blood wasn't getting to her hands, and that's why her hands were cold. No idea. That next morning, she couldn't even get out of bed. So uh, Robin took her to. Uh, the pediatrician, and before I knew it, I'm getting a phone call. And the, we're on our way in an ambulance to Arnold Palmer Hospital. You got to come join us. I don't know what's going on, but it, it's not good. And um, so, we ran over there, and that's where I found out that um, Grayson had a condition called viral myocarditis. And, and what that is, is it's a it, it, she indeed had a virus and it settled in her heart. And when the body's immune system went to attack that virus and try to kick it out, it actually ended up attacking her heart. So, her immune system was fighting her heart because it was trying to get to that virus, and her heart was only working at 20% of of what it was intended to work at. Um, One-third of the people that get this can survive it with complications. One-third need a heart transplant, and one-third die um, from it. So that was our Christmas Eve news. Um, Totally healthy nine years up to that point. Um, And uh, I'll never forget what happened that night um she wasn't getting better and uh, they said we need to put her on a ventilator she she was having a hard time hard time breathing and um she was becoming delirious and and saying crazy things and the last thing that she said that night the last thing i heard her say is she screamed out i'm gonna die um right after that the the nurses asked robin and i to, to leave the room Um, They put her on the ventilator and they ended up putting her on full-life support that night Um, The next morning Christmas morning uh, Now we look at it and say it was God's greatest gift. He's ever given to us Uh, The the, the head of cardiology took us aside and said there's nothing we can do for her Um, Her body's gonna have to heal itself. There's no medicine. There's no procedure there's there's nothing Um, what she's on will keep her alive for uh, a while um, and that's when we got the gift. There was peace. I can't explain it, the peace that passes on understanding, but Robin and I both felt it. Um, I told her when the doctor said there's nothing we could do, what I heard is only God can do this. And Robin said, you know what's interesting? When they said that, I realized that she's not in the doctor's hands anymore. She's in God's hands. And we agreed that no matter what the outcome would be, if she was in God's hands, that's exactly where she needed to be. Now, we had to come to grips with that might mean he'd keep her in his hands in heaven, or it might mean he'd return her to us with who knows what kind of complications. But we had to trust and know that he was in God's hands, and that's what gave us the peace. Um, a few days later, not getting any better, the doctors called us, uh, and they give you bad news in little rooms. They'll give you good news in big rooms, but in the, we'd like you to come over in this little room. Here. Um, they said there's nothing more we can do. She's not going to be able to survive on this machine much longer. Um, but there's a experimental machine called a Berlin Heart. It's not approved by the FDA. There's a doctor at the University of Florida that's done three of these. Um, two of them were successful. Um, we think she could be a candidate for a medical experiment. But you'd have to sign off for it, and this and that. And there was peace. So we allowed our daughter to become a, a medical experiment at the University of, of Florida. And um, I'll just show you the picture. That's all I can do. that That's her blood. Those tubes were embedded into her body. This machine became her heart. And um, that's actually a very good day. months after they put her on this. uh, When they put her on it, they were able to do a, 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 they could check her brain, and a blood clot had broke free and um, had had settled, hit her in the, she had a brain damage, and they told us that. And and they said, you know, um, we won't know how bad it is until We'll have to give it time. But she may not ever move. She may not be able to move her left side. Um, She may not walk. She may not be able to speak and probably won't be a candidate for a heart transplant. And I had prayed that nothing bad would ever happen to one of my kids. I would prayed for that for years. One of the main reasons was because I didn't think Robin, my wife, could handle it. (laughs) Robin touched the doctor on the shoulder and said you have such a tough job you have to give parents like us terrible news like this and I see your compassion I know how much you care but it's gonna be okay our daughter is in God's hands and we're gonna trust that and I'm telling you the doctor looked at her like she was crazy and I looked at her like she was crazy because she was She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we can do crazy things. We can comfort a doctor who just said that our child was probably going to die. You know, the last thing I told you I heard her say before they put her on the breathing machine was, I'm going to die. Well, you know we began to pray uh let her move her left side and, and after a couple of days she did and then we began to pray let her speak and um they, they when they took her off the breathing tube she was improving enough that they took her off the breathing tube and i really thought she was trying to speak i mean, she's trying to speak and they're you, you're you're a dad you're an optimistic dad don't don't feel you know there's nothing wrong with that but she couldn't speak if even if she wanted to she's been in a coma for a week and there's fluid in her lungs and uh, you know Was trying to speak. And a day later, she did. And the last thing I heard was, I'm going to die. And the next thing I heard with a little weak voice was, Daddy, I love you. From I'm going to die to Daddy, I love you. You see, I wanted a miracle like Jesus did in the Bible where he went and raised a dead girl and she walked away. What, what, What I needed to realize is that You know what? He's doing miracles all the time. They just don't always look like the miracles we think we want them to look like. A miracle from I'm gonna die to Daddy, I love you. And we still didn't know what our future held, but we we just need to accept each miracle and be thankful. Um, The other thing we learned from from this process that's that's so important, and I know Dave mentioned there's people going through crisis in the room right now. Um, It may be something like this. It may be something totally different. Um, but any crisis you go through, there's these things that, uh, that we learn that I just think so important to share. And, and, and first off is when you go through something tough like this, the first thing we want to do as humans is ask, why? Why did this happen to me? Why did the purest heart I know end up like this? God, why? Why would you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? Totally natural. But what we had to learn about that was when you want to ask God why, a better thing to ask him is, what should I be doing right now, Lord? What should I be praying for? What miracle are you at work right now? So when you, if you're asking God why about something, just ask him, what am I learning in this, God? What am I supposed to be praying for? What is my next step? I'm going to put everything in your hands and trust you. The outcome is yours, and I'm going to trust that. The worst part of this was waiting. Every day, Grayson would say, when do I get to go home? When am I going to get out of here? When am I going to have a heart? When are, uh, hey, we're like that, aren't we? We're in a bad situation, and we want to know when is this ever going to end. And we can get focused on when, you know, that question of when. But the thing we learned is we needed to let God work his plan. And again, we had to trust his plan. It might not be our plan, but we had to trust that he would work his plan for his glory. We we wore out Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. We hung it on our wall. We said it every day 10, 15 times. Lord, work your plan. We don't know when this will ever end, but we just want you to work your plan. Then the other thing is, you know, when you're in a situation like this or you're in a situation of crisis, You can't help but just be overwhelmed with worry. Every morning I would wake up and it wasn't a dream. I really was in this situation. I really did have to go to the hospital and see my daughter on this machine and see if she was going to make it through another day or whether that day might be the day that this machine quit working and she... Worry. There's only one remedy for worry that we've learned. And that's when we're in the midst of worry. There's one thing we can do. Because when we worry, we're all into ourselves. We're all into worrying about what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my family, what's going to happen to my... We're we're all focused on ourselves. When we worry, we should turn to the Lord and worship. And I don't mean break out in a song. If you worship by singing, that's fine. But just say, turning from, I'm going to take this out of my hands, Lord, and place it in your hands, and I'm going to thank you for the blessings in my life. Even though this sucks... You are awesome, God. I love you, God. I'm worshiping you. When we are in a midst of worry, the only way to get out of it is to turn to God and worship. Because we can't do anything about our crisis, but He can. Don't ask why, ask what? Don't ask when, ask Him to work His plan. Don't let worry take over you when you can worship. April 15th. I don't even call it tax day anymore. <laughs> April 15, 2009, they called and they said, we may have a heart for you. And before they take you in to do a heart transplant, they tell you everything that can happen, including people often die and don't come out of the surgery. And, and we, Grayson was mature enough in her nine years to hear everything. So she heard that. Um, I prayed dad prayers let everything go perfect, Lord. Let the doctors be wonderful. Let this heart bend. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. The scripture says to make your requests known before the Lord. And I did that with fervor. But I want to contrast that to when it was her turn to pray. Before she went in. And this is right before she went in to get her uh, heart transplant procedure. Her prayer was, dear God, thank you that you may, have, you may be able to heal me with this heart. I pray it'll work out. But I want you to know if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, I'm still going to trust you, God. How often do we pray like that? I I didn't pray like that. Even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, I'm still going to trust you. I'm happy to say it, it, it did work out. The, the heart transplant went well. Um, this is her holding her original heart in her hands. <laughs> yeah, not many people get to do that. Um, she's in a rare fraternity of people that get to hold their heart in their hand. Um, and, and I remember that day so well. The, 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 the research doctor came in. It, this was now all in research, you know. He goes, hey, Grayson, I've got your heart. Would you like to see it? And she goes, yeah, I think I would. I was like, oh, this will be cool. <laughs> you know, Hey, Grayson, would you like to hold your heart? Yeah, I think I would. We were like, oh, man, goodness. <laughs> you see it. Somebody said, Grayson, what's it like to hold your own heart in your hand? And we were like, man, this is going to be profound. And she handed the heart back to the doctor and said, it looks like chicken to me. <laughs> I could not make that. That's exactly what she said. Yeah, only a nine-year-old, exactly. This was June of last year at, at Bella Kalina. Uh You know, when we didn't know if she'd have another day on this earth, one of the things Robin and I prayed for with all our heart was that she'd have a wedding day. If you're looking for a miracle, God is still in the miracle business. It may not look the way we want it to, but he's still in the miracle business. And an you know, interesting thing about this is that that is me. Um, I got to officiate the wedding. Um, I was shocked when Grayson asked me if I would officiate her wedding. And I was like, I'm an equipment salesman. <laughs> <laughs> There's some things you can do if you want to officiate a wedding. So, anyway, I, I did that, and, and what a blessing to not only give her away to my new son-in-law, but to actually officiate the the wedding. Back to business. In in the God, the Lord has blessed our company uh, over the years. Um, the shine vision, the mission to to live that way, to try to do business that way, uh, did create a a culture that um, I feel we can be proud of. A, a culture that, you know it hey, doesn't mean we shine all the time. I mean, I've had customers tell me, "You're not shining." You know? uh, <laughs> believe me, you, I might have a customer in here going, "You know, they don't really shine that." But that's what we aspire to. You know, we're not here to go look at us. We do this every day. We're here to say, if we will follow these principles, when we get it right, the Lord will be seen. When it became time to to, to move on, we knew out of a lot of options, the option that we needed was an Aesop to, to sell our company to the employees. Kind of because that's what Jesus did. You know, when he went to heaven, he turned his mission over to the ones he had done life with. He told him to go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do all the commands I've given you. And lo, I'm with you always. He went to heaven, but he gave his mission to the people who he had spent his time with. And if we wanted to be a, again, I'm not saying Aesop is the answer to anybody, but for us, a company that wanted to represent Christ, that was the way we needed to transition. Uh, We did that in 2018. And that's when Mark Jeske, who's in this room, came to work for us because he had experience as an HR professional in two Aesops. So um, there's a connection, Um, but it's been great. Uh, it was the right thing to do. the Lord ordained it uh The Lord directed it uh when you have a godly vision and and you try to live your life on mission it's just another one of those examples of how he 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 definitely uh cares for and guides your your steps i'd loved in my story right there nice high miraculous daughter saved. Business turned over to employees and it's going wonderfully. But I would miss what I think is the most important part of my story. This is is my family. Here's my wife, Robin. I was living on mission in the workplace. I lived on mission, I feel, with my kids. But what people didn't know is that I went home every night to a wife that didn't feel loved. I went home to a wife who often would say, can you bring some of that shine home with you? My response was always, I'm doing the best I can. A mentor of mine, a guy named Buck Jacobs, he founded C12, which is um, executive roundtables that does Christian curriculum and helps each other do workplace ministry. Um, uh, just a titan of the faith, and especially in the workplace setting. Um, and and I'm, I count it such a blessing to have him as someone in my life. And uh, anyhow, I got to see him, and he had just finished a book that I thought was so important. His thing is the most important thing you can do as a man, and here it is. This is a bonus. Spend that first few moments of every day with God. When your feet hit the floor, grab your Bible and go spend that first time with the Lord. Read some scripture, pray, Ask the Lord, what do you want for me today? What's your mission for me today? Um, So he did a book on that, which, again, I thought was his, his most important work. And I said to Buck, what's your next big thing you're working on? And he said, I want my wife Bonnie to know that as long as I have breath, that she's loved by me. He didn't know my situation. I looked like the guy who had it all together. I look like the guy who, well, he's run his business this way. He's had miraculous things happen. in his life. he, he had no idea. I was doing a devotional a, a few weeks later. And the devotional said, write down three things you would die for. Okay. I, I think I'd die for my faith. I, I really do think I would. And I, I knew I would die for my kids because I had asked many times, Lord, let me take Grayson's place. I would have died in a heartbeat for her to be saved. And then, of course, I wrote down my wife. And the Lord is like a brick to the head. He's like, be real. And I began to think, what would my life show? It's not what would I say, but what would people see? And I realized instead of my wife being on that third line, I would have to put my work. And then the Lord really messed with me. We were on vacation in Banff, and it's beautiful, and we were having a wonderful vacation and he goes, I want you to go upstairs and tell Robin that. I'm like, no, God, no, we're on vacation. It's wonderful. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And so I just prayed, Lord, you're going to have to fill me with your Holy Spirit. and You're going to have to take me up to that room. And you're going to have to tell me what to say, because I can't do that. I'll make a long story short. I went up there and I told her that. First of all, she looked at me like, who are you? And what did you do with my husband? But then she began to cry and then i began to cry and then she forgave me and i committed to her that i would try to live my life like christ would that i would pray that he would release the chains whatever it was that i wasn't able to do that made her feel like she couldn't be loved that he would release that And, you know, I have to ask her that every day. (laughs) It's not like suddenly I was the most wonderful husband that ever existed. But if you ask her today, does she feel loved, she'd say yes. And that's the mission. For the people that are closest to you, if someone would ask them, do you feel loved by them? If the answer is yes, then you're living your life on mission your work your family your community wherever if people would say i feel loved by that person you see matthew 5 16 is my life verse Let your light shines what this is all about but if you read it chronologically you'd have to read 14 and 15 first and, and, and 14 and 15 is when J- jesus brought his disciples around him on the hill Overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he was telling them, You guys are the light of the world. You're like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. And you don't take a light like that and put it under a basket. No, you take a light like that and you put it on a stand and you hold it up and it brings light to all who are in the house. Where? In the house. I spent an entire career and missed that. He wants to make us all a light to the world. But it starts by us being a light in our own house. If we'll do it there, he may choose to take it other places. Don't be like me. Don't miss that. It's not too late. Ask him to be a light, ask His light to shine through you in your own house, and He'll make you a light to the world. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they'll see your good deeds and give glory to our Father who's in heaven.